This is Anthems. My name is Daniel Rogers. I'm a fashion producer, freelance writer, and anything else I'm paid to do her. I'm 26 and I'm from West London, which you might eye roll at, but trust me, I do too. It's also where I'm writing this from, as London begins to lift its most severe lockdown measures, where previous to this, people have only been exercising once a day, a couple of times a day, and have absolutely only been going to the shops for essential items. And yeah, I think that includes a corner shop, Rubicon and a twirl. Your word of the day is sofa. We all have one. From the crushed velvet types beloved of Instagram influencers, to your friend who's doing slightly better than you's made.com purchase, or the sad plethora couch you find yourself on at 7am on a Sunday, spitfiring to some poor stranger about how Hilary Mantel's difficult pro style is actually so rewarding. The sofa is a universal emblem of human interaction and togetherness. Personal moments and cultural milestones have been played out on them globally. Just think Big Brother, The Royal Family, Central Perk. Under quarantine though, the sofa has shifted from a site of intimacy to ennui. It's the Fitbit Antichrist in a period punctuated by sitting on the couch, going to the fridge, and then sitting back down again. DFS have even called off their sale, which is nothing short of a cultural reset. At the prospect of my 9-to-5 going AWOL, and my freelance work completely drying up, I made the decision to leave my rented place in East and move back in with my family in West London. Since I flew the nest in 2012, my mum and brother have moved house a number of times. Their current home is a lot nicer than previous places, but it comes at the expense of a spare room, which means whenever I stay over, I'm relegated to the living room. And it's there that you'll find an old, dark grey sofa, which was once cheap from Ikea and is rough like a sack. I'd say it's got a kind of deflated, almost gormless look to it, which through years of use and misuse seems to sigh and moan at passers-by from the corner of the living room. But I'm lucky I can make the 10-mile trek back home when things get tough, or when pandemic strikes. Because nearly a thousand people died the other day, and despite what we're told, the coronavirus discriminates and has become yet another tool in austerity's armoury. Black and minority ethnic people are dying at twice the rate of white people, and black people are four times more likely to die from the disease. A black Southern Railway worker, Belly Majinga, even died of coronavirus after being spat at while on duty. All I have to do is sleep on a sofa. And while it's not life-threatening and it's not homelessness, it does come with a heavy sense of displacement. In my case, it feels a bit the prodigal son, only he's having a quarter-life crisis. And with an uncertain, unprecedented, and uncharted future ahead, I felt no choice but to look back. When I finished school in 2012, we had one of those mock award ceremonies, organised by the prefects, house captains, and just general prissy busybodies of the year, of which, listener, I was one. The awards went like, most likely to be a wag, least likely to graduate, and most likely to end up on Crime Watch. I mean, they were pretty innocuous, and the teachers even had a go too. 
although theirs were meant to be much more PG and encouraging. That was until a certain sports science teacher who shall remain unnamed, Miss D, awarded me most likely to live at home with his mum at 40. It was a weird moment because it didn't really make sense, like at all. I was pretty independent, well-liked and have no real memories of my mum ever getting involved with the school. And no one else really got the joke either, so I stood up, accepted it and sat back down with a little fanfare. Maybe it was payback. Payback for my minimal interest and obvious disdain for the PE department or for faking illnesses every single week to get out of games so I could go and have cigs and coffee with, conveniently, my also very ill mates. Either way, she seemed to find it very, very funny, smirking back to my other snake teachers who also seemed to be in on it. So when I left home at 18, I made a vow that it would be for good. Imagine my horror now then, when just under a decade later, I find myself back at home with my mum, sleeping on her sofa. The corona homecoming is an experience shared by so many others, whereby the very notion of public and private space has blurred into one. We've transformed our sofas into offices, studios and boardrooms, falling victim to a myth of slow living packaged to us as life under quarantine. An era of hypoactivity and hypervigilance, where death tolls, two-metre distances and daily briefings are observed from the discomfort of our living rooms. All the while, a lack of movement means inertia blurs our days into one, and before we know it, an outside humdrum infiltrates the home. What was once the focal point of our homes now just feels omnipresent and overbearing. Under isolation, the sofa is a constant reminder of the stagnant time spent away from friends and the prophetic foresight of Miss D. But as we exit this period, and the shoots of normal life begin to break through, the symbolism of the sofa shifts once more, embodying a collective spirit of adaptability, resilience, and of course, connection, albeit at a distance. It gives me hope. For those future times together, and those Spitfire chats, be it on sofas, benches, or I'd even take a bus seat at this point. Just get me on any of them. Now, I'm not sure if this is the first toll of ageing, being eight years on from that assembly, or having to sleep on this L-shaped monstrosity. But in the words of Britney Spears, my lower back is killing me. Sofa. Definition. Noun. A long, soft seat with a back and usually arms, on which more than one person can sit at the same time. 